0: So today we are looking at the last portion of Jesus' sermon that is found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, which is commonly known as the Sermon on the Plain. Now there's a lot of similarities between this sermon and the sermon that you see in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is often called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, But this particular sermon, um, it came out from uh, an all-nighter. Jesus pulled an all-nighter in prayer, uh, spending time with his Father, and after that, Uh, from the mountain he calls his disciples and he selects 12 apostles and then he comes down from the mountain uh, and he's still surrounded by this, this massive crowd there's a lot of people who are tuning in and yet he stands on a level plane and he begins to teach and when he's teaching he's looking at the disciples he's speaking to his followers those who have made a commitment to follow him and his sermon is all about discipleship what does it mean to be a true disciple What does it look like to be a kingdom citizen? Um, Probably because Jesus just selected the apostles. He's trying to give the apostles and the disciples a clear picture of what they could expect when it comes to following Jesus. And he really begins with saying that there are two kingdoms in this world, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And those two kingdoms have two different ways that they view this world and two different ways that they assign values to things in this world. And the call that is placed on the disciples or the followers is that you would live not according to the values of this world or material things or things that are temporary, but rather you would be radically different from this world, that you would be set apart, different, unique in this world. And it's not just about the values and the views that you have, but it's the love that you have that should be radically different, that you should be willing to not just to love people that are nice to you, but love people that you would consider uh, your enemies, people who who, uh, try to hurt you, people who are unkind to you. Jesus says, show kindness. And so that's hard to swallow, but then we go to the next portion where it says, don't judge one another. Although people might deserve your judgment, although people might be walking in sin, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, be known not by your judgmental spirit, but be known to be forgiving and to be gracious. Make sure that you are examining your life first before you examine other people. Make sure you take out the log in your own eye before you take out the speck in someone else's eye. And I think when we look at a passage like this, the tendency for me and you is that we want to automatically assume that, okay, there's nothing in our eyes, let's go to other people. But I think the emphasis of Jesus' preaching is on the disciples. It's on the people who are carrying this log in their eye. And I think he's saying this. He's warning the disciples not to live in such a way for two reasons. Um, Number one is this. He says, take out the log in your eye so that you can avoid hypocrisy. So that you can avoid hypocrisy. Look at verse 42. It says this. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that's in your eye, you hypocrite? So notice that uh, it's not just... Non-Christians that call Christians hypocrites, Jesus calls his disciples hypocrites, right? Uh, It's pretty clear. Other places, Jesus Jesus would use this term to religious leaders, to the Pharisees, and yet he's being very clear. If you live in such a way, if you live in such a way that's ungracious, that's unloving, that lacks self-examination, that you are a hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? The Greek word here is simply meaning a person who is acting on a stage. It's the same word that you would use on an actor. Someone who is in a play, in a movie, especially in Jesus' time or especially in the first century, people would wear a mask and they would pretend to be someone else that they're not. They would be different on the outside from what is in the inside. And we know a good actor knows how to do this. They are so invested into the role that it makes you think that that they are actually that person that they're acting out. In the same way, Jesus is saying there are some people who are playing this, this pretending game when it comes to the Christian life, that they are acting, that they are pretending, that they are different from what is portrayed on the outside and inside. And so what Jesus is simply saying is, avoid this. Don't be hypocrites, rather be sincere. Be consistent. Live with integrity. Whoever you are in the inside should be who you are on the outside. Be authentic. And that's why he says, first, examine yourself. Sanctify yourself before you try to help others. second thing that Jesus says is this. Not only will you avoid hypocrisy if you examine yourself, but you would see things clearly. And I think this is so important because what Jesus is saying here is this. It's not that you're just... know, saying one thing and not acting upon it. But a lot of times, you're not just fooling others, you're fooling yourself. That's the real problem that exists in our hearts. It says in verse 42, Brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log. So the problem is not that this person is aware of the log that's in their eye and they're still trying to take the speck out of someone else's eye. The danger of this person is that this person is unaware that there's actually a log in their eye. Not only are they fooling others, they're fooling themselves. And this is when Christianity becomes very dangerous. You know, it's when you know just enough to be dangerous. And I know how this works because I, I learned how to drive. Uh, when I first learned how to drive, I was super nervous, scared. Uh, to, it, was, it was a parking lot. No one was there, but still, like, you know, I was my wheels uh, my, 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 my hands were on the wheels you know the perfect uh, angle I was looking left right so careful when I was driving and the more and more I drive the more, and more I realize okay I'm, I'm not too bad at it I'm, I'm decent at it so I take off one one hand and I start doing like with uh, driving with one one hand and then you know when I turn instead of using both hands I'm like I'm doing this the, the circular motion right to, to look cool I get to the point where I know enough where I'm actually dangerous (laughs) because here's the thing. A good driver is not someone who can just drive well. A good driver is someone who's humble enough to to have control over the car. Uh, Some people are so confident in their driving, they would say, I can go over the speed limit, and I'll never get caught, and I'll never get into an accident. I can avoid this this turn, or I don't have to stop on a stoplight. It's the point where you know somewhat of driving, and yet you are so dangerous because there's no sense of humility in your driving. And 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 I had to learn this the hard way. Like you know, I was I was rushing one day. Uh, it was actually after morning service. I was coming back to school, and then I was rushing. I thought like I can I can uh, push uh, push the pace to get, get to school on time. And I I got into head-on collision on our intersection. And that's when I realized that, man, I was overly confident in my driving skills. I thought I could push the pace. I can drive in a certain way so that I can arrive safely and also meet the time. What I didn't realize is that when you're driving, you never know what's going to happen. So you should always be prepared and and be ready for whatever accident. I think the same is true with the Christian life. Uh, If you have been a Christian and you know the most dangerous season of your Christian life is when you kind of, know enough to be dangerous like you can quote enough scripture you can you can't really quote exactly where it is but you have enough ideas from Sunday school that you can somehow get your way out of trouble you can defend your sin and justify your sin it's when you know enough and and you are living in sin and someone asks you why are you doing that and you just simply say well it's well I prayed about it. it's the will of God for me and it's like well, God's will is for your sanctification. He also is very clear in his word. What the, where does it say in his word? And, and he's like, well, no, I, I don't know where, but it's just, you know, it's, it's the will of God for me. And, it, and, and so it's the point where we are so dangerous uh, because we know someone. Uh, I think that's exactly what happens when you are trying to help someone else without examining your own self. It's when you become dangerous and actually hurtful than helpful. I think a lot of times why um, children or, or, uh, get discouraged, especially in looking at their parents, is not because what they say is wrong. It's because they see something inconsistent with what they teach and how they live. One of the most common words that people would use to describe Christian parents is actually hypocrisy. right? But the truth is, it's not just Christian parents, it's every parent that's hypocritical. And what Jesus is saying is this. This is a heart issue, a sin issue that exists in every human being. Because of this, there's times when we fail to see clearly. But the Bible is reminding us is this. We can avoid hypocrisy. We can see things clearly and actually help people than hurt people if we take time to examine our lives in light of God's word. And the reason why I explain this to this extent is because today's passage, verse 43, it begins with the word for. So this is not just another separate lesson but it's building off of what Jesus already taught so far says for no good tree bears bad fruit nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit so in today's passage Jesus is going to share two analogies one is about two different trees that produces two different fruits Uh, one is about two people who are building two houses on two different foundations and through this He wants us to ask two questions uh, to ourselves. This is more about you examining your own heart. First question is this, what's the condition of your heart? What's the condition of your heart? The second thing is this, what's the foundation of your life? As Jesus is finishing up his sermon, his focus is on the disciples. He wants the disciples to really examine their own hearts and to examine the foundation of their lives. So what's the condition of your heart? Look at verse 43 one more time. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. So the fruit is consistent with the root, the nature of the tree. I know when you drive into church, there are two... um, Pers- persimmon trees. Um, I know those are not orange trees. I know those are not apple trees because I saw the fruit and I ate those fruit. Like, I, I, I tried it and it's pretty good. Like, I am aware of the nature of the tree based on the result of the fruit. And in the same way, uh, what Jesus is saying in today's passage is this in verse 44 each tree is known by its own fruit. So, what you see on the surface, on the outside, reflects the nature inside. A tree bears fruit according to its, its nature, corresponding to its nature. And Jesus says the same is true with people. If there's something wrong on the outside, it's time to look inside. Because what we're dealing with is not just a surface issue, we have to get to the symptom Uh, We have to get to the root of the problem, which is our heart. Look at verse 45. It says this, A good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Again, uh, Jesus is talking about producing fruit, but particularly he is highlighting the, the issue of speaking. I think this is, again, deeply connected to how we judge others or speak on behalf of others, our fruit, how we live, what we produce, even what we say is a reflection of what's going on in our heart because it says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance above all else for from it flow the spring of life. And so the question is, what's going on in your heart? What is happening deep down inside? I think the call to discipleship is a daily uh, a call to reflect on your own heart, um, since it's Mother's Day, I'll just share something about parenting. One of the most important lessons I've learned when it comes to parenting is this. The child is not the problem. Most of the time, I'm the problem, like as a parent. Um, A lot of times you wonder, man, how how did someone come, like, is that my child really? Does that kid have my DNA? But the more and more you think about it, it's not really the child that is the issue. That child has exactly your DNA called sinful nature, right? And so you have... A blind person leading the blind, that's really the issue of parenting. Um, just last night, this is, this is new, this is fresh, um, something happened in my household. Uh, so we have uh, a, d- a daily routine each evening uh, to put the kids in bed. What we do is after dinner, we, we have the kids you know, take a shower or we give them a bath, and then they brush their teeth, uh, and then they, um, they read a book, and afterwards we put them into bed, we pray for them, and then that's the end of the night. On this particular night, yesterday, it took us an, an hour and a half to go through this process. Uh, that we were begging them, we were con- convincing them, we were threatening the kids, like, you gotta take a shower right now. And it was to the point where I, I, I finally had enough, I was so fed up, I said, okay, you guys are on your own tonight. Like, I'm not helping you, right? And so, like, literally, Irene is looking at me. I'm I'm, I'm two, you want me to wash myself and brush my own teeth? And then. We still go through all of this. Uh, and then at the end, Timothy comes up to me. I, 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 I turn off all the lights and comes up to me and says, Dad, but we didn't read the Bible. And guess what I said? Well, no Bible for you today. <laughs> right? It, and I was, I, was, I was trying to make a point. You know, you might, this might sound really simple as a, a pastor, but my point was this. You can't have your way for an hour and a half and do everything that you want to do and then now say, because you want to stay up a little bit more. I want to read the Bible. He's like, you're trying to be so smart. Come come with an offer that I can't refuse. And so I, I said, finally, I, 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 I let it go a couple times. I, I need to prove a point. No Bible for you. And you can see the disappointment in his eyes. Uh, like, you're a pastor. How can you say, don't read the Bible? And I felt like, you know, I was doing it to correct him to prove a point, but one thing I realized was, man, there was a serious issue with my heart. Um, Actually, Paul Tripp, he writes in his book, Parenting, he says this. Sometimes we accept the fact that parenting is a spiritual warfare, so we pray and try to do our best, but sometimes we just want our children to behave so our lives could be easier and so that we can have a better reputation around other people. The battle that takes place in parenting is really this, that, that we want what's best for the child, but at the same time, we want what's best for ourselves. I was thinking to myself, I have a sermon to preach tomorrow. I need to get to my points and ex- review my points and try to do all this, that my heart was not in the right place. And because of that issue, something came out of my heart that maybe you know, it could be justified if I wanted to, but as I was examining my heart, I had to repent. And then I see my wife go to the side and say and read the bible to Timothy and I was like yeah that's why we need moms right there <laughs> uh, but the real issue is in the heart if you are dealing with people uh, and this same principle applies to ministry to accountability if you are dealing with people one of the key lessons that I learned is this if you try to change their behavior with laws it's just going to be controlling them but if you want lasting change you need to change their heart like You can keep the youth in the household, bring them to church by threatening them, by putting all these expectations on them. What happens once they have freedom, they go away. But if you disciple a child, you disciple a teenager in a way that they love Jesus, they know the words of Jesus, that they are transformed from the inside, then there's going to be lasting change. And what I notice is lasting change, in order to accomplish that change in heart, it takes time. It takes patience. The law exposes the heart. Grace transforms the heart. Every opportunity that we have when it comes to sharing our thoughts, especially in a discipleship setting, we have to remember that our goal is not to just speak truth. Yes, we need truth, but it's to speak truth with love. And what is that love? It's to expose the sin but point people to the Savior, to help people remember that there's grace and forgiveness in the Savior. So that's the issue of the heart. I love how Jesus deals with people. And this is how he deals with us. In John 4, he meets this woman who's been through five different marriages. And like everyone knows that she has a broken life. And so they're avoiding her. And Jesus comes up to her, and he knows exactly what's happening. He says, well, you've been through five people, and then the person that you're with is not your husband currently. But he's not saying this to condemn her. What he says is this. He doesn't say, you need to get your act together. He says... You know, I have water. If you drink of this water, you will never thirst again. And when she encounters the grace and the mercy of Jesus in truth, she is transformed to the point the whole Samaritan village was transformed because of her witnessing. You go to Luke chapter 19, and Jesus encounters this tax collector, this chief tax collector who has been, who's been ripping off other people. Um, he's a thief. He, 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 he's betraying his own people. And yet Jesus, before condemning Zacchaeus, he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And he shares a meal with Zacchaeus. And I don't know what kind of conversation took place with Zacchaeus, but one thing that Zacchaeus knew was this, that he has a savior who's willing to love him and restore him, to correct him with grace and truth. And because of that, Jesus doesn't even give instructions. Zacchaeus goes out and he repays the people he wronged four times. And so what you see is That the goal of the Christian life is not a change in behavior, it's a change in heart that produces lasting change in behavior. Uh, What is the condition of your heart? Um, This is why it's kind of dangerous to just assume that your problem when it comes to Christianity is a lack of reading the Bible and a lack of prayer time. There's a deeper problem than that, that we don't love Jesus enough to actually enjoy his word and enjoy his presence. So we need to examine our roots, our nature, before we go to any behavior. So the second question is this. After asking the question, what is the condition of your heart? Jesus ask the question, what is the foundation of your life? And I think these are all connected. As Jesus is calling his disciples to self-examination. First, he wants us to examine our own heart. But foundationally, he wants us to examine the foundation of our lives. It says in verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and not do what I tell you? This is one of the scariest verses in all of Scripture. In the Sermon on the Mount, there's a similar account where someone comes up to Jesus, Lord, Lord, look at all that I've done for you. I cast out demons in your name. I gave to the poor. I did all this for you. And Jesus looks at that person dead in the eye and say, who are you? I never knew you. Like, Wouldn't that be so scary that you feel like you've been honoring the Lord all your life? You've been calling Jesus your Lord all your life. And yet when you see him face to face, he's like, I, I never knew you. What is going on? Notice in in verse 46, it's not the lack of understanding. This person knows that you need to believe that Jesus is your Lord, that you need to accept the fact that Jesus is your King. It's not also a lack of enthusiasm or passion because Lord, Lord, like this person is, is, is enthusiastic about calling Jesus his, his his own Lord. The word Lord literally means boss, master, someone who is in charge. And yet Jesus says, isn't it ironic because you call me that you say that I'm in charge, yet you live as if something else is in charge of your life. And so the words of Jesus always demands a response of obedience. That's what Jesus is saying. The true Christian is not someone who just hears the word, but someone who acts upon the word. And this is what is, is, is illustrated in this, in, in this story of two men. Uh, two men building a house. Uh, they have a couple things in common. They have the same dream. Uh, It's not like one person wants to build a a car and another person wants to build a house. Both people want to build a house, something meaningful, important in their life. So they are investing things uh, into their lives to come up with something meaningful. We also see that both people most likely go to church because they, they hear the words of Jesus. They are exposed to the presence of Jesus. They are aware of the teachings of Jesus. The Bible says, But the clear difference between these two people, these two individuals, is not the fact that one person hears the word and one person doesn't hear the word. The difference is in their responsiveness. One person hears the word and walks in obedience. Another does the word. The other person hears the word but does not do anything. And this is illustrated through the word foundation. Uh, Jesus says one man lays a foundation. He digs deep and lays a foundation on a rock. The other person doesn't dig deep, doesn't really have a foundation, just starts building up. One person starts going down first before they build up. Another person just starts building up. A foundation is the starting point. It's what holds everything together. You don't plan out your house first with walls or windows and try to understand how big each, 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 each room has to be. No, you, you start off with found, finding a good foundation. You want to make sure that whatever you build is built upon a firm foundation. We know that if the foundation is shaky, everything is in jeopardy. Like everything that you built upon the foundation of your house, your entire house is banking on the firmness and the steadiness of your foundation. And what Jesus is saying is this, there are many things that we do in life, but there's something that upholds everything that we do in life. Um, And one person puts in the work, puts in the effort, Practices discipline to dig deep, to find this deep foundation, this solid foundation. The other person doesn't really care much, starts building their life. But look at what happens uh, in verse 47. Uh, It it says that at that moment when the storm comes, um, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But on the flip side, it says at the end of verse 49, When the stream broke against the house that did not have a foundation, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So two builders building similar houses but different foundation. In the beginning, both houses look great. Both houses look the same. But the problem is that there is a storm that's coming. The Bible doesn't say like the weather forecast, there's a 90% chance that something's going to happen in your life. The Bible says, no, just know that things are going to happen. The Life is full of storms, challenges, trials, and tribulations. Especially if you are a disciple of Jesus, just know that you will face persecution. You will endure suffering. And so what's clear is that both people are building houses, but both houses are exposed to a storm. And the question is, which house are you building? Are you building upon the foundation that is firm, or are you building upon really no foundation? And I think if you ask that question, everyone would say, yeah, I'll love a, a firm foundation. I'll love a solid foundation. In the same way, none of us would say it is actually a bad thing to obey Jesus. It is a bad thing to know Jesus' word and live according to his word. The reason why we don't build our lives upon the foundation of the words of Jesus is not because we disagree that, it, 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 disagree that it's a good foundation. It's simply too hard. Like We don't want to dig deep. Come on, it takes time. It takes effort. And it feels like, you know, in the beginning, whether I try to dig deep or not, whether I try to make these life choices that are really honoring to God, it doesn't seem to make a difference. It seems like the evil is prospering. Like people are still having their way. Why would I put so much effort into my life? And what the Bible says is this, in the beginning, it might look the same. And because of this, some people are willing to take the risk. They say, I know this is probably not the best idea, But considering the time and the effort that goes in to build a firm foundation in my Christian faith, to live according to God's word, I'll just try to go a a route that's more convenient, that's more easy. I'm willing to take the risk. The problem is that the storm is coming. And the result is devastating when you don't have a firm foundation in Jesus. The difference between these two houses is based on the foundation. One lasts and one does not. One is able to endure life's trouble and one is unable to endure life's trouble. This is the power of the word of Jesus. I shared this in um, our, our, our equipping class, Living by the Word. One piece of advice that I receive when I'm reading God's word is, there are some days when you feel like, man, this doesn't apply to me whatsoever. I have no idea why I'm reading about this. Um, and I remember one teacher would say that, hey, just make sure after you read it, just make a deposit into your savings account. And what that means is this. Sometimes you don't use the word that you read right away, but you build up a savings account. Now, for everyone who doesn't have a savings account yet, one of the first piece of advice uh, that you're going to receive if you see a finance expert is that you need a savings account, that you need some emergency money, that you need to be prepared for life's trouble. Why? Because life is full of emergencies that these situations will happen. And so one of the first steps is, first of all, get out of debt. But the second thing is start building a cushion for yourself to prepare for those rainy days. That's the most sound advice that you receive. And the Bible says, don't just do that with your physical money. Do that with your spiritual life. Be prepared spiritually to endure rainy days. Because there are going to be days when you lose a loved one. There are going to be days when you are treated unfairly. There are going to be days when something happens financially. Maybe something happens with your health. And you are so discouraged. And in those moments, what do you do? And you are lost of words. You have no idea why this is happening. Well, someone who has saved up God's word in their heart, who have made a bank prepared for this day, all they would do is they would take out some words from God and say, no. Even though I'm going through the valley of sh- the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your hand, your, your staff, your rod, they, it comforts me. Like you prepare a table before my enemies and my cup overflows like because of you. Your, your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days of my life and you go to the reality that Jesus is your good shepherd. You recognize that in rich or poor, good season, bad season, I can be content because Jesus, he is sufficient and he is enough The problem is you can't go to your bank in those troubles if you don't have anything saved up. And so what Jesus is saying is this. You built your life upon the foundation of my word, and you will be prepared for anything that life throws at you. And ultimately, you'll be prepared for the final storm, which the Old Testament often describes um, as the final judgment. The final judgment is described as the storm, and even when you stand before the judgment seat of God, you will not collapse, but you will endure And this is the incredible promise that Jesus gives us in today's passage. What he's saying is this, you can trust me. It's hard work to be a Christian, to follow me, to leverage your lives and obey my word in your marriage, in your parenting, in your career as a student. It is really hard to live with integrity. The career choices that you make, how you manage your time, how you manage your money, how you do relationships— There are a lot of other ways that are more convenient, that seem more practical to you, but put in the hard work. Try to keep this word to the T and you will not be disappointed. He is inviting us to immerse ourselves in his word, in his presence, that you can withstand anything that comes your way. So the question is, what's going on in your heart and what's your foundation? Everyone here today is building something in their life and they're building their life upon something or someone the question is is your starting point the words of jesus or is it something else if your foundation is the words of jesus and your life has been transformed by his words you're going to produce good fruit and what is that good fruit you might say well a happy life uh, a good career but when the bible talks about good fruit it's simply this it's Christ's likeness as Jesus is your good teacher, the student will be like the teacher, it says, uh, that you won't just be led by blind people in this world, but you'd be led by the ultimate teacher and your eyes will be open to what is true and you can invest in other peoples in the same way. I think the message that we have to take home today is not that we have to try harder to be a better Christian. The solution is this. You have to recognize as you're examining yourself that you're actually more broken than than you think, that you're more of a mess inside than you think and what you need is not just more effort what you need is a good savior a good teacher someone who can lead you out of your blindness the only way that you can bear much fruit is not by trying harder it's by abiding in Jesus Christ it says in John 15:5, I am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing you can't do anything no it's when Jesus is laying down this kingdom life and he's saying this is how you ought to live, if you feel pretty good about this life, man, you should, you're should you mistaken. It should scare you. It should worry you. It should trouble you that there's nothing in, in you. Your ability can never match what is required of God's kingdom. But here's the good news. Jesus doesn't leave you, leave you alone. Uh, I love what David Platt says about discipleship. He says, Uh, After three years of following Jesus, the disciples have received this tremendous task to make disciples of all nations, to baptize people in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, to teach them all that Jesus has commanded them. And how many of you have been coming to church for three years or more? Most of you guys, right? Do you feel pretty equipped to do all that? Well, I'm a pastor and sometimes I don't feel completely equipped to do that. And a lot of times that's that's the point. As Jesus calls you to make disciples, he's calling you to make disciples, not because you're able, but so that you would run to the one who is able. When he calls you to make disciples, do you recognize that it's actually a call for you to first be a disciple? Because as you are trying to make a disciple, you're trying to lead someone who is blind, you recognize that you need your eyes open, that that there's nothing in you that can lead someone with truth and grace in such a way. So what you begin to do is, before going to someone and telling someone, teaching someone, you examine yourself. And as you are examining yourself, your sin is being exposed. But at the same time, what's being exposed is that there's grace in Jesus Christ. And as you abide in his presence, you have the power and the ability to bear fruit. Notice the fruit of the Spirit is not something that you produce. It's the fruit that the Spirit produces through the Word of God. It is the, spirit of, uh, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things are the traits, the characteristics of of Jesus Christ. But notice that that fruit might not appear in some seasons. It might take time to bear that fruit, but surely if you have a new heart, if the spirit of God dwells in you, then you can produce that fruit. How? Not by you taking control, but by letting Jesus take control, making him the Lord of your life. And so, how do we live a kingdom life? It's simply this: surrender. Surrender to Jesus. Recognize your need as a parent as a child, um, as a coworker, as a member of this church, whatever position, title you might have, and you abide in Jesus. And see how he transforms you first so that you can transform other people. Amen? Let's pray.